When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What is happening, podcast human beings? Hopefully your summer is just going splendidly well, because uh, mine is. I'm actually in Washington, D.C. right now, uh, doing a little thing with my family, hanging out here for two weeks, working, just just doing the whole thing, probably seeing some you know sights or what have you. But I am thrilled to bring you a conversation that I had with a friend of mine, which is, it's weird to say friend, because this is a band that uh, was so formative and I cannot put an exc- more larger exclamation point to how formative this band was for me and many of my friends. I have Stephen Andrew Miller, the guitarist from Unbroken. He also played in Kill Holiday, played in a band called Crushed on You. He's got some new projects working on, which we talk about towards the end of this particular episode. But um, yeah, if you don't know Unbroken, uh, do yourself a absolute favor and listen to Life, Love, Regret from front to back, and then listen to their last 7-inch, which is only two songs, I was going to say, from front to back. Actually, it's three songs, but I, uh, I just adore this band. And Steve, I've wanted to have on for quite some time. We were actually supposed to connect when he was uh, living out here in Southern California, but he has since departed the uh, state of California, and he lives on the East Coast now. But uh, we finally did it, and I was very glad to have this discussion with him because Unbroken is playing a reunion show on July 29th to celebrate the 30-year anniversary of Indecision Records, which is awesome. They're doing a whole two-night thing. I'm fairly certain it's sold out. It breaks my heart because I actually uh, was planning on going, but then this trip to D.C., it's uh, just conflicting, and it's it's a shame that I don't get to see Unbroken. But fortunately, I have seen them many times, not in their original iteration, but ever since they came back. But uh, yeah, I'm bummed. But you should absolutely go if you have tickets. And obviously, if you don't have tickets, then, uh, you know, try to find them on the, uh, the, the, the secondary market. I was about to call it black market, but that's not true. So Steve and I talk a lot about, obviously, Unbroken, his life in and around music. It's really, really fun. So let's get some, uh, some business done. You have to support 
Year of the Knife. If you are not familiar, for one, with the band, or two, the horrible situation that they got put in via a van accident, uh, the vocalist Maddie, who I have had on this very podcast uh, many moons ago, she is recovering slash in a coma. She's in critical condition. It's awful. And I've contributed to their GoFundMe, and I know many, many other people have. It definitely feels like the whole broader hardcore slash punk community has rallied around this and are donating a lot of money to them because uh, we're talking about a catastrophic uh, end to the way that the band can operate right now, and they need all the support that they can. So I will leave a link in the show notes. If you have not contributed, I urge you to do so. 5, 10, 20, whatever it is, please do that. And I know there's a lot of other places, whether it's t-shirt fundraisers, uh, the label that they're on, Pure Noise is doing some uh, test press auctions. Like There's a lot of things going on. So please contribute in whatever way you can. And for free, if you want to support this show, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a rating on Spotify if that's where you listen. And uh, you can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Love to receive feedback, guest ideas, whatever the case may be. The inbox is open. So uh, let's talk to Mr. Stephen Andrew Miller. We caught up one uh, late afternoon, and it was it was great because I ultimately the the fact that will just stick in my brain forever and ever and ever is like I, he thinks that they paid around eight hundred dollars to record Life Love Regret, which is just like oh my gosh, it's it's amazing <laughs> to hear those facts of what we were all you know, contributing to in the nineties where it was like, and at one point, $800 for a recording session was like, Oh my gosh, like I can't afford that. It's crazy. So anyways, let's talk to Steve. And, uh, of course at the very end of the episode, I will talk about what's coming up next week. So here is Steve. And like I have told you before, my uh, unapologetic love for your music, not only Unbroken, but just, uh, you know, all the stuff that you have done. And I'm, I'm sure it's really interesting for you to not only sit with actual perspective on the band, because you it's clearly existed in many different iterations. And then when people like myself come to you and are like, oh my gosh, like, I love your music. <laughs> and, you know, kind of reflect that back to you. Is it... um is it interesting for you to hear that knowing that like, you know, most of the ways that people interact with uh, your music, especially with life, love, regret is that, you know, that was clearly not a fun time for any of you. I mean, it was fun creating it, I'm sure in certain respects, but like you guys are all going through it. So like, is it interesting for you to be like, I'm glad it's resonant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to make this part of the, the thing, I could explain a little bit of that to uh, absolutely because th- there is there is a there is an answer to that for sure um which i don't know if you want i can give it to you now or if you want to save it for yeah no no absolutely i would love i would love to hear that right now <laughs> look, sure. absolutely so so basically um i'm used to it which sounds very not fair in, in a sense i mean it's I've heard it so much now to where it's just kind of like, yeah, it's cool. I appreciate it. I'm very respectful of it. But there was a period for a few years after Unbroken and even even right after Kill Holiday, I was very, very turned off by hardcore and not 
hardcore as as a thing in itself because I still love the bands that I love. But I was very turned off by the scene. It just wasn't where I wanted to be anymore. And it was turning into something I, I just hadn't signed up for. It was it had gone from being punk rock to just brutal and jock and and the music wasn't really in it resonated with me. So I kind of I kind of dipped out of it. And uh, I just played different types of music, hung out with different people. And there was, I think it was probably 2002 or 2003. And someone started talking to me about Unbroken and, and they're saying, yeah, it's like, it's like cult status. Like people love your band. And I was like, are you serious? Like, I, I just didn't know because even during kill holiday time, it wasn't really Unbroken hadn't, it just, it didn't have that. It didn't have that same thing that it has when we first did the reunion in 2009, the, the 98 show for Eric was, was a big deal. And then I thought that was it. That was the end of it, you know? Um, but I didn't know how to really react or respond when people were making such a big deal about it. And it is kind of, I get it. I mean, I'm fanatical about things too. I can understand when you find something that resonates with you and you, you relate to it and it, it speaks to you. And, and I'm very fortunate. I feel very fortunate that we created something that's timeless that it's it's something that every year somebody's discovering this or it's something that somebody says hey you should check this out or if you like this you might be into this you know um right but yeah i mean it was just it was just crazy to kind of like reintroduce myself to what was current at the time in hardcore and find out that people actually really did care and to find out all the bands that were existing at that time saying, yeah, you, you guys are an influence. You guys are the reason we're doing what we're doing, or one of the reasons why they're doing what they were doing. Right, right. And I'm sure on top of that, kind of dovetailing off that, the idea that because this record was created during such a tumultuous time in all of your lives, like, you know, I mean, everybody kind of at that age obviously has a lot of different things going on. Right. But is that interesting? You know, I know that plays into the resonance of that particular record, but um, is it also in your head? Is it kind of like, yeah, like I'm really glad that a lot of value was, you know, extracted from it from an artistic perspective, but I, do. I can't really explain how hard of a time it was for us. It's, it's crazy though, because I look at it now. I mean, I'm going to be 48 here in a few months. So it's, you know, we recorded that when I was 18 and when you're a teenager, whatever, you know, struggles you're dealing with, they're, they're the size of giant mountains at that time in your life. It's the most extreme thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And and I look back at it and I, I can't say, I can't really remember what was wrong. <laughs> I mean, everybody had their own stuff and it was very fair and relevant to them at the time, but I can't look back and say, what was, I don't know how to word that. Cause it totally, I'm not trying to discredit anything that anybody else is feeling or even how, how it was back then. I don't really remember it being as bad as we portray it being, but it doesn't mean sure. that it wasn't because at the time it was creating, we were creating that music because of it. Um, but I think now I look at things a lot differently and it doesn't feel the same way. You know, it's like, it's kind of like the thing when you, you know, when your parent, your child, like, like falls and, and, and hurts himself or something like that. And you're like, ah, oh, come on, get up. It's not that big of a deal. But to him, it's like the most insane thing in the world to be dealing with. And that's kind of what that was like. Like that was, you know, figuring it out. That's the best way I always use to describe it. So we were just figuring it out. We're still kind of, you know, you're developing your identity. You're figuring out who you are. And there's so many things, your first relationships, your schooling, your jobs and, and your friends. And it's just like, a, yeah, that's really what it is. You're just, you're just trying to navigate through everything and, and emotions run high. And it's just, a, 
it's a learning experience, I suppose. And it's, yeah. I mean, it still is, but you know, so case in point, looking back at it, it's like, yeah, I, I, we were definitely, we definitely had issues. I had issues, but I can't remember what they were at this. <laughs> at this oh, time. It, <laughs> no, totally. And I, I think that's what is so, even if a person, you know, is just interacting with the music on the record mm. and like not really soaking in any other elements of it. It's that, that either time capsule of where you guys were at with that, you know, your ages and like your musical tastes and all that sort of stuff. It's just, it's, I think to your point, that's why it, you know, sticks to people and it doesn't leave them. It's not just this like transactional record that people, yeah. you know, kind of churn through. It's like, no, this is like with me and it, you know, sticks. I, I think for me too, and this is, this is getting a little personal, but I think right around my, the time I turned 40, I hit, I hit rock bottom, like emotionally. I was just, mm-hmm. I, I, I was spent. I, I, I just, I don't know. It was just a really tough time and I was trying to get help. Uh, I drank too much to try and like kind of medicate and, and, and that only made it worse. It, it definitely did not help me at all. And when we found out, my wife and I found out we were uh, expecting, it was like, okay, that's it. I'm done drinking. And then I just, I don't know. It's like a, a night and day switch to where everything that was wrong with me just kind of just went away. And I don't know if it was a conscious effort just to say, you know, I'm not going to be that way. Or did I really just stop being that way? But so, so that's kind of why it's hard to look back at the time and, and really understand it. Cause now I don't really, I don't, A, I don't have time to be, <laughs> to be depressed. Sure. I'm too busy, but B at the same time, I, I tend to find ways to rationalize everything now. So if something is going to get me down, I kind of look at it and go, well, why is it getting me down? And what am I going to do about it? And, right. and, and that's, that's what I do. I mean, we all have stress. We all have, you know, it's, you know, at this stage of life, there's so many things that can really get you down, but it's like this, you know, getting down doesn't change the fact that there's still obstacles I have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And plus like, as you progress through life, you clearly, get more tools in the toolbox to deal with. And, you know, your support system grows larger, even though, you know, at the time, like you're just constantly hanging out with friends and like, you're always around people, Mm -hmm. but no one can really rely on each other too much during that time. Because, you know, like to your point, like we're all just figuring it out. Like we still are at this age, but then even more so at that age, like no one has any idea. There there was a, there was a line I had in a Kilhada song we never recorded in the first version. And it said, what means the world today might not mean a thing tomorrow. (laughs) And, and I think maybe I knew then maybe it was like a foreshadow of going, okay, like this, this is a really big deal right now, but I'll probably get over it. I'll probably move on. And, and this will be so insignificant, you know, like it just, it's such a heartbreaker right now, but in a few months or a few days or a few years, I don't know, it just won't even mean a thing. Right. Totally. Yeah. It's, I mean, everything is life and death and you only get reminded of that with either associating yourself with people that are younger than you and, or to, you know, our collective experience of like having children and understanding Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, like. I remember how crazy that was when I was five and I, you know, lost my toy or whatever. It's <laughs> right. like, that's, that's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll dive more into that a little bit later, but kind of in a sort of linear fashion, I know you were born and raised in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from what I understand, like a very sort of typical upbringing in regards to, you know, mom and dad in the household. Did you have any siblings or are you an only child? No, I have a sister. She's uh, almost three years younger than me. 
Okay, got it. So you were uh, first on the scene, trailblazer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did uh, were you and your sister uh, close as you guys were like living together? Oh, or yeah. Did you grow closer? Yeah. Okay, got we it. There was a gap. I think when uh, when I was in high school, she was in junior high, and then even when uh, we never went to school at the same time because I went to a three year junior high and a three year high school. So she was a freshman when I was a senior. And still at separate schools. So when she was in high school, I was already graduated and I was doing my thing. And I think at that time we probably weren't as close, but then when she got out of school, we, we definitely grew to be closer. Cool. That's awesome. And uh, I also understand that like your parents were, you know, musical as far as like always listening to music in the house and playing stuff around you. And it seems like that was a natural progression for you caring about music. Uh, did you have to, I guess, kind of, you know, rebel in certain ways being like, okay, this is my parents' stuff and I appreciate them playing that and it's cool. And so like now I got to find my own tastes and, you know, bum them out in certain respects. Not, not in rebellion. Um, sure. I think when, when I found punk, they didn't quite understand it. Um, especially with, with the way we, I mean, we're, it is like the, into the eighties. So we were, we were dressing the part too. We were looking very punk rock and, uh, immediately we were very straight edge at the time without fully knowing the full details of straight edge and stuff, but we were very anti anything that wasn't straight edge. And I remember specifically with my dad, like looking at me thinking probably that I was going to experiment or go do drugs. And it was quite the opposite. Um, so I think what happened with the music, they were probably like, what is this? Um, but then realized that, oh, they're not bad kids. They're not getting into trouble. So maybe this isn't that big of a deal. And it didn't, I mean, it wasn't really a, it didn't last. I mean, my, funny enough, my dad was very into the Smiths and the Cure and a lot of those things on his own, like had nothing to do with me. It just turns out coincidentally that he found Morrissey on his own and went and backtracked and was like, oh, I like this stuff. And it was kind of a weird, like, oh, you like this stuff. Yeah, I like this stuff, you know? Right. Um, my mom is my mom. She was very into her thing with, with classic rock and stuff. And it kind of never really evolved from there, which is fine. Um, but my dad definitely took on a, a liking of modern music and what was, you know, he, he had an open mind, I should say. Um, sure. And yeah. So, I mean, no, I never, never really re- rebellion because it wasn't like I was just full blown into music. They didn't like we, we, my tastes were all over the map. So, I mean, you know, I had stuff in common with them. Even if I liked all these other external groups they knew anything about, we still had commonality with like a lot of the bands that they liked that I liked as well. Sure. Absolutely. And uh, what did they do for a job as you were growing up? And like, was it in the heart of San Diego or were you in kind of like, you know, Vista and outskirts? No, I was in San Diego proper. Um, but I was, okay. I was on the very edge of the a very, I think the, Last uh, well, the house I grew up in was pretty much the last street in San Diego, in the city of San Diego, before it moved into uh, La Mesa, El Cajon. So, oh, okay, got it. So some people might say I lived in East County, but uh, I wasn't down in the <laughs> in the hills and the in the valley like they. Uh, you know, East County's kind of got a weird reputation in San Diego for you, especially if you talk to Rob and those guys, all the Chula Vista kids. It's very, uh, it's in the boonies. East County's the boonies of those guys. <laughs> but I yeah. was I was more aligned with like San Diego State where that where that is in in, uh, in San Diego. Okay, got it. And what did your parents do for jobs as they as you were growing up? My mom didn't work a lot of the time, and then she just kind of had 
uh, random jobs. Like she worked at my elementary school when we were going there for a while. And then eventually she, I think when I was probably junior high or high school, I can't remember. She just, she just got jobs just to, just to occupy time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was a, uh, civilian contractor for the Navy. So he, oh, okay. he, he wasn't in the service, but he was, uh, he was a planner and estimator for them. Yeah. Oh, sure. And especially too, I mean, that being in San Diego mm-hmm. and working in the military makes a whole lot of sense. Right. Yeah. And, um, from as long as I've, you know, known you and spent time, you know, in and around you, you've, uh, you've always seemed, you know, reserved, like definitely not the person that's, you know, kicking down the door and being the, the proverbial life of the party in a bad way, you yeah. know, lamp, lampshade <laughs> on the head guy. Um, was that kind of always who you were or was, you know, certain elements of like, oh, I was more outgoing as a kid and then, you know, whatever, getting into music brought me more out of my shell or whatever. Like what, what's the journey there? I don't know because I watched my son who's about to turn six and he's reserved and shy, sure. but, but he's like me in the sense that when you get to know me, I'm not reserved and shy. And everyone, if you ever talk to him who, who knows me well, knows that I can be a smart ass slash whole. I can be very sarcastic. I could pick on you just the same. I've got the same sense of humor as a lot of other people. I'm just kind of like, you know, pick my windows, pick my battles when I, <laughs> or if I'm comfortable. But yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna walk into any room and try and dominate it. Um, but if something is there and I see an opportunity, I kind of take it. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if how I was as a kid. It's something I actually want to ask my mom because of watching my son going, okay. You know, because when he's in school or he's in public, he's very he's very respectful. He's very polite. He's also very quiet. He de- definitely like will like nudge up to me. You know, in in in, in the public space. But we get home, he'll run around with his pants down and say the word butthole and and do everything he can <laughs> to make you laugh. He's always trying to make you laugh. So, um, which in a way is a lot like me too. I'm definitely one who would run around with their pants down and and say funny things to you and, and try and get you laugh as well. So. Right, right, yeah. Uh, apple, it's apples and trees. That's the way I always say it. Apples and trees. Like <laughs> that, that must that must be where I was. So that's that's what I looked like when I was a kid. That's that's kind of what I wonder. Our friends at rockabilly.com want you to know that you can get a awesome discount on all of their officially licensed merch by using this promo code 100 words or less. If you have not looked at what Rockabilia has to offer, you go to their website. And, uh, you know, they have a whole line of Slipknot merch they've recently done. They have a really cool Ozzy Osbourne split shirt with uh, Todd McFarland. McFarland, I think. <laughs> I, I realize I'm, like, operating off of knowledge when I, you know, read Spawn as a, uh, you know, early teenager. But, uh, you know, legendary comic book artist. He did the art for it. Regardless, Rockabilly.com is the place where you can find all of those pieces of merch, plus like 499,000 other items that are all officially licensed. It ships from the Midwest here in the United States of America and fast and friendly. Customer service is top shelf. I just love supporting this company and I appreciate all of the support they've given this show. So, again, go to Rockabilly.com, use the promo code 100 words or less. It will give you a nice 10% discount. And then uh, you'll write off in the sunset with a great piece of merch. Thank you very much, Rockabilly. And would you classify yourself as kind of, I don't know, like, you know, an outdoor kid, you know, into video games? Like where, where'd you find yourself spending time as you were, you know, in elementary school and, you know, maybe going into junior high? I think at that time you're a mixture of everything because it's the eighties and sure. Definitely rode BMX bikes, definitely was into skateboarding, but also played video games, but not with the obsession that you see kids do it now. I mean, we played, 
you know, whatever Atari and then moved on to, you know, Super Nintendo and those things. But it wasn't like a, it wasn't like anything. We were totally fine with being outside and like skating and, and just traveling around and, 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 uh, doing that. But I was also a bedroom kid too. And I think that definitely, um, aids in why I picked up music so early and started playing an instrument so early. Cause it was just, you know, I was in my room a lot. I spent a lot of time by myself, uh, by choice, you know, I was, I am an introvert who's trying hard to be an extrovert. Like even with my, my career and my job, like I am an introvert in an extrovert's world. And sometimes it's very hard to, to do that. And that's kind of, that was, that was me as a kid. I'm still shy. Like I, you know, afraid to use the phone or, you know, don't want to talk to people. Try fronting a band when you don't want to talk. <laughs> it's like, it's just, yeah, that that's kind of where I am. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the outgoing person on a level with strangers, but I am can and can be an outgoing person when I'm in a comfortable uh, environment with friends and family and stuff. Sure. Absolutely. And when you started to, uh, I'm guessing like in probably the junior high section is when, and especially probably through BMX is when that more, you know, DIY, like punk hardcore stuff that was clearly, you know, not the radio or maybe your other friend groups were not finding out about. How did that get introduced to you? Um, that's a good question. Um, so when I was a kid, like the first things I knew, like Def Leppard was like my first favorite band. And that starts when I was like five and six years old. And my mom was heavily into like Led Zeppelin and Alice Cooper and Black Sabbath. So those, those things were there. Um, and somehow, and I don't really know how, I think it might've been just the older kids on my street because we had kids that were into thrash and my next door neighbor was into like British music, like the Cure and Depeche Mode and stuff. And I don't know if that's where I got it from. I kind of feel like it was because it wasn't, I don't have a distinct memory of someone going, you should listen to this stuff. Just somehow I found it. And um, yeah, I just kind of, kind of went from there, you know? Sure. Yeah. And it, it is tough too, when you are that age and you are just soaking everything in and it's pretty much devoid of context. It's like <laughs> the, the delineations are like, Oh, I heard it on the radio or like, I didn't hear it on the radio. Like, yeah, it's and, not like you understand anything, but radio and even MTV uh, then was, they were still huge factors on things, especially the radio. Uh, we had 91 X and it was the alternative radio station when the word alternative literally meant what it says. Like it was a different world. It wasn't mainstream. Um, none of those things were, you know, top 40 by any means. And a lot of those bands were not necessarily on daytime MTV. It wasn't something, um, you know, that everybody knew about, there was a, probably a time in your life you could, you could say something about a band and people be like, what, who are you talking about? <laughs> and now, I mean, you can mention like Fugazi or Minor Threat and you get a lot of, a lot of civilians <laughs> who would say, oh yeah, I know that I've heard of that, you know? So it's kind of a, it's just, yeah, it's just different, different decades for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I know just in other interviews and cyber stalking of you, uh, I know that school wasn't exactly your thing, but you yeah. made a deal with your parents in regards to like you mentioned you know just a little bit ago where it's like all right three years of high school and like i'm out of here um did you uh, and you had no desire i presume to go to college right not really um i mean it was like it's what's expected of you and it just school school wasn't hard i just didn't have fun i didn't i didn't like it um right and did, what was the, I guess, proverbial life path? Was there an idea that like, 
oh man, maybe I, I, I will go in the Navy because my you know dad could get me in there. Like, was there any, no. I guess, po- mm. pointing in a direction? No, no. I, I mean, some people are lucky. If you're, if you're able to figure out what you want to do when you're younger and you, you settle on that path, good for you. Like that's, it's not an easy thing. We, as people change our minds all the time. So it's so hard to think of something when you're like 16 and 17 and go, yep, that's, that's my career path, you know? <laughs> right. And, and then stick with it. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's a, that's a commitment. And, uh, I don't think anybody at that age is really prepared to make that kind of commitment. And I wasn't, um, people go to college cause they think they have to, it, it's, it's weird when you're experienced or when you're exposed to counterculture, you, you don't look at what's expected of you as the path you're supposed to go by going to school, going to college, uh, marriage, kids, job, career. Like that's, that's what normal people do. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? but people who didn't live like we did where, you know, and, you know, punk rock and hardcore and a different circle of friends and, and different political values and, and ideals. And, you know, it's, you know, think about, just think about being a kid in high school and you, you declare, I don't eat animals and I don't drink. You're automatically that, that makes you like an outcast. <laughs> you're like, you're Definitely. not, you're automatically not normal. People don't understand that. And so when you, you have alternative views like that, you, you don't look at life as, you know, straight on and go, Oh, there's, you know, this is the blueprint and this is what I have to follow. So no, I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't know for years. I still don't know. I mean, sure. Every scenario I've been in, you know, is, is just, just the way it naturally evolved, you know? Um, yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of people are that way. I think, I think, uh, you know, whatever you do for a career in general, people, you know, it, you kind of just fall into it. I think, uh, some people prepare, some people plan, some people go to school for it and other people just kind of end up where they, they, you know, they land where they, where they end up, you know? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. You're totally right. And, uh, I know that you started bands, you know, you started to play like in whatever the high school age and uh, nothing, you know, officially got off the ground really until, you know, Unbroken was probably what you would ostensibly call your first quote unquote serious band, I imagine. Yeah. Um, I started playing guitar when I was eight and in junior high, we, we messed around a lot. Um, me, Todd, and Eric, especially, and uh, Cliff, who was the first guitar player in Struggle. And we we're trying to just figure it out from being like punks and goths and all that being in the Smiths and whatnot and trying to do like those kind of bands and loving the sex pistols too. And then it kind of just evolved. So yeah, by, by the time high school hit, um, it was doing unbroken. And then I also played in this band called Julia at the same time. Oh yeah. Um, during high school times. And so, yeah, it's kind of both, both happening at the same time. Right. Especially too, because like the, the, I mean, Julia was definitely one of those bands too, where, I mean, San Diego, and I'm sure that you were aware of how diverse of a scene it was, where it was like so much going on, mm-hmm. where it's like all of the, you know, foundations that were being laid for, you know, metallic hardcore, emo, indie rock, whatever, you know, rock, like so much was happening. But, you know, at that time you were just playing it because of the sort of instinct that was happening. It was just normal. I mean, it it's probably weird to look at, especially like, you know, with Eric Allen too, the same trajectory of like to be in bands that were on ebullition or Bloodlink or, you know, just the, the counterculture, even within hardcore labels. And yet we were also in a band on new age records. So it's, right. it was kind of like, you know, but that was, that's San Diego though. That, there was no like 
Oh, well, you're, you're part of that scene. It was just one big scene because every single person in San Diego, and this goes back to bands like Rocket, Jehu, and all the stuff they were in, they all came from the punk and hardcore scene. All of it. So, yep. so to say like, oh, well, there's this one and that one and this one, they all, they all came from the same origin. Um, and that's just the way we kept it. I mean, you know, San Diego had bands that probably didn't necessarily fit. Pitchfork played a lot of hardcore shows, but was Pitchfork a hardcore band? Not at all. And that kind of carried on into the next wave where it was like, you know, well, there's this type of band and there's this type of band, but they're all on the same bill. And nobody thought, why are they playing the other? Just, that's just, that was just normal to us, you know? And we kind of, when we first started going on tour and you you get to a show and you have like four bands that all sound like one band. Just the whole the whole show is like one long song. Uh, it definitely opened our eyes to what we had at home to go. Oh, there's so much more diversity where each band has so much individuality and brings a lot to the table and dresses differently from one another. Or you know, it's just kind of just yeah, it was just a lot of uh, a lot of mixed things in one city, which definitely made for. Uh, good people to, to kind of just figure out. I don't know. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah. It, yeah. Just a lot to pull from. It, totally. And like, I, I think it's also exciting, you know, as a, I mean, I lived in San Diego for one year, but it was just like, you know, existing, uh, you know, just at like, from a sort of graduating class perspective where it's like when I first started to get into, you know, punk and hardcore in like the mid nineties, just based on my age, it was definitely one of those things where just looking at San Diego and then starting to see all of these splinters of scenes coming off. It was like, Oh wow. Whereas, you know, now the internet has flattened every scene and it's really difficult to kind of pinpoint where bands come from based off of, you know, a myriad of reasons, but it was so cool to peel back that layer of, uh, onions in regards to what was happening in San Diego, where it's like, Oh, this person played this band and did this and this. And like, just, it, it keeps going. Where did you live? What, what part of the city? Uh, I, well, I just went to San Diego state for a year. Oh, so. then you, okay. So I, I know I lived in Del Cerro in San Carlos, which is literally the oh, yeah, college yeah, yeah. exit is my exit on the North side <laughs> of the eight freeway. So, you know, Dude, yeah. you know exactly where I grew up. <laughs> I, I absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I, I enjoyed that experience living down there, but definitely was like, well, you know, I don't even know why I'm going to college. Cause I just want to play in a band. So y- yeah, you know how that goes. That, yeah. that, you know, that's the case. I mean, going back to the earlier question, like, I didn't yeah. have a pipe dream of being a successful major level rock star. That was never on my radar. Um, if it happened, it happened naturally, but it was never like, oh, we got to do this. We had just, cause if that were the case, the bands I was in would have worked a hell of a lot harder than we did. We, <laughs> we didn't, really, sure. we didn't put in those, those kind of hours to do that. So that was never really like, oh, that was, that wasn't a thing. Um, right. So yeah, that wasn't the path. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the path, but, no. uh, on that uh, similar topic, uh, you know, I know, and, this is something that you've articulated before where a lot of people can clearly see the difference between, you know, ritual and life, love, regret mm-hmm. and ritual, you know, for all of its, uh, it's warts and all where it's like, oh yeah, there's elements of it that are cool, but the record isn't that good, <laughs> you <No>. know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I think it's interesting where, um, you, you know, when you start to get into a band and you start to listen to records just because like, it's like, oh wow, I like this thing. So I'll, I'll go backwards or maybe they have a seven inch yeah. and, <laughs> you just are like, oh, this this isn't as good as the other one. And you can't really pinpoint why, but you're just like, I don't like this as much as the other one. Yeah, I can pinpoint why. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, 
I'm sure, I'm sure you can, but I, I, I just, I know there wasn't really a question contained in that, but just the, the idea that you can, you know, you can honestly look at a record and be like, oh yeah, like I see what we were trying, but like, it's not that good of a record. Well, you know, a really good example of that would be something like maybe like Radiohead, like the, sure. the Pablo Honey record is a good record. It's got a couple songs on it that are really good, but is it the Benz or is it, okay computer and is it kid a like that that's evolution that's where like so if you were to get into them say like an okay computer and you start working backwards and you get to pablo honey you're like eh, i don't really hear what i was attracted to with this band but there's a couple songs you know what i mean yep and there's Absolutely. there's a million bands like that that was just the first example that came to mind to where uh, <laughs> you know. oh you mean you're not comparing unbroken to radio i'm no. just kidding <laughs> i'm joking i'm joking <laughs> yeah um Something that I, I always found really interesting about uh, what you guys did too, especially with the you know aesthetic of the band, not even just the way that you guys are dressing, because obviously a lot of that you know has been spoken about. Where it's like, oh, you guys look like greasers; it's yeah. wild. <laughs> um, but the the aesthetic and the image of you know the logo being consistent and like these things that really were not commonplace. And I know that um, you know Eric was very instrumental in that. Mm-hmm. Do you like, was that just basically his idea and he ran with it and everybody was, you know, obviously stoked to do it? Cause I was like, Oh, that's a good idea. Like, yeah, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like that is really, really uncommon and very difficult for bands to do even at in 2023, let alone, you know, 1993. Eric was very, um, he was ahead of his time in the sense that he kind of always had a, a vision, but even, there's times I don't think he even understood it himself. Okay. And, and there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of tension sometimes too. I mean, he had great ideas, but sometimes they weren't executed in the right way, I suppose, where there was just a lot of like my way or that's it. <laughs> I mean, there, sure. uh, there, you know, and not to, you know, I've got nothing but love for him forever, but you know, we always joke even today, you know, with the unbroken chats and stuff that we have, we're like, you know, the first time we toured Europe, we would alternate writing the set list. And if he didn't like the set list, he'd literally like take the paper you wrote on and crumple it up and just throw it. So, so <laughs> there were, you know, there was a lot to orchestrate and deal with. Um, but he had, he did have a lot of good ideas. Um, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I just, yeah. And I know it's difficult like to, be able to, you know, probably pinpoint the idea of it, it's not like he's coming to band practice where it's like, here's the unbroken logo, guys. Like, you know, check it out. Like, you know, and then being like, yes, we're going to continue this on like all of our merch and like this is going to be consistent. And here's my vision board. It's not like you had that language back then. I mean, but- the, the thing about unbroken is that when we started, and this is, this is why I don't like ritual. I, it's totally, there's, there's a legit reason for this. Uh, the OMB Backstage, I have no problem with it. I was 16 years old when we recorded that record. It's, right. it's our first time doing something. We were so happy to be on New Age, and these are the songs we had at the time. But when we did Ritual, those songs were, were written, but we were already on to Life of the Regret, which was talked about in that, that 185 podcast. We were already writing for the next record, and Ritual was a forced forced record. And the thing I hate about it is that it's very cliche in terms of what the lyrics are it's it doesn't it didn't represent us it it doesn't represent really who we are it was just like your you know your your hardcore food groups are represented you got your you know i'm gonna be straightish forever 
bullshit themed song because that's a very bold statement to make saying you're going to be strange forever. Um, you've got your animal rights song. You got your racism song. You got your sexism song. You just, it's like the check. All right. Got this one. Check. Got this one. Check. And it doesn't mean those weren't sincere songs, but they weren't original thoughts. They were just kind of regurgitation of what we thought we were supposed to be saying and, and doing. And that's I, why I think life of regret was so instrumental in getting away from that. I think that's the relationship that people might have with it is that, Oh wait, we can talk about something else. We can talk about ourselves or we can talk about how we're feeling and not write songs that are about unity and, and, and I'm going to be straight edge forever. And, and, um, you know, the, just like I right, said, the topics that have been covered already, clearly covered and covered and covered and covered and covered. And this is <laughs> like, I mean, we started recording ritual in 1992 and, you know, hardcore is literally, I don't know, 12 years old at that point. I mean, it was still like a relatively new thing in the whole, like in the big picture of it, looking at it now in 2023, where it's like, okay, this is, this is a 40 plus year old topic, but like, then, I mean, but these topics were just ad nauseum. It was just like every band was doing that. Every band looked the same now. Every band was just, it was just very um, formulaic and and that was a turnoff and it's still a turnoff, you know? And I think, and we realized it, we realized it very early on, like going, this is bunk. <laughs> this yeah. Is, this is not what we want to do. No, right? it's not, not at all. Especially being a San Diego band, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause it's, it's not like they're, you know, yes, of course there was uh elements of where like you know youth crew whatever there's bands that would pop up but not to the point of where it was like you know completely dominate and take over the scene like it was you know there was always something different going on in san diego so yeah yeah. i mean the 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 straight edge band from san diego that we looked up to was amenity right and amenity was not youth of today they were they were not instead they were not chain of strength they weren't those bands they were amenity and they were heavily influenced by the bad brains and and just very different. They did not have cliche lyrics. They didn't have, they had very thought provoking lyrics. They're very uh, deep and introspective and very influential on us. And you had forced down and it was, you know, it, it just wasn't your typical hardcore. And that was our, that was our influence. Those that's, you know, that's what we looked up to. Sure. Absolutely. And I know that, uh, you know, touring capabilities of unbroken were always limited to, you know, summer breaks and holidays Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. The, um, did you, you know, enjoy touring, uh, as far as just like your personality, like, did you enjoy that aspect of it or were, did you, you know, are you more at home in a studio? No, I love, I love being on the road. I love touring. I think it's, it's fun. Um, it's probably one of the things in life I, I still miss. Like it would be so much, I mean, I wouldn't do it now. It's not possible, but, the just traveling and, and just seeing different places and, and different shows and meeting different people. I mean, you know, this, and it's, it's relatable to, to all of us in the scene, but like the relationships and people you've met, you can judge us by your social media friends. Like how many people you've met from being in a band that's traveled around that you've built friendships with that are like 20 and 30 years old at this point, you know, it's like that that's from touring. That's the relationship yep. of, uh, you know, being in a band and going to different cities and then coming back the next year and seeing the same faces and, and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely love touring. Um, I like being in the studio cause I like making music, but what I remember most about being in bands, is just, just shows just being the, the, the live aspect of things. 
Let us talk about our friends at evilgreed.net. They are an amazing web store solution for record labels and bands, all alike. But what does that mean to you as the end user? You go to their website, you can buy stuff from there. Vinyl, shirts, sweatshirts, whatever it is you're into, they got it. But I want you to use this discount code and that gets you 10% off of your entire order. 100 words. And what is cool about Evil Greed is that they they kind of act like a record label where they have a very specific point of view. If you're talking about anything artistic slash heavy, that is what they traffic in. Like they just launched a store from, I would say, legendary black metal artist Lamp of Murmur. They also have a ton of stuff from Blood Incantation, Brutus, one of my favorite bands, Nails, Power Trip, 200 Stab Wounds. And they work with a ton of other cool labels like Triple B Records, Maggot Stomp, Close casket activities. I just, I love what they do. And I was able to hang out with them uh, you know, a couple weeks back and just hearing how many employees they have, hearing how the company has grown and they love this partnership. And it just, it warms my soul because you, the end user, get to benefit in the same way that I benefit from talking about a cool company. So it's great. Use the promo code, 100 words. They ship from Berlin, Germany, because that's where their office is located. But the cool thing about it is that the exchange rates are in our favor, and they get stuff out to you very, very fast. Like, I've ordered from them before, and here in California, I've gotten the order in like a week. Spectacular. So no fear there whatsoever. So go to evilgreed.net, use the promo code 100words for 10% off your order. Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Greed. Kind of on that same tip, the idea of you know, when you yourself start to notice people paying attention to the band, uh, you know, even if it's like, whatever, someone, hey, our friend is not singing, like, you know, someone up front is like that we don't know is singing along to our songs. Like, when did you kind of feel some momentum with, you know, Unbroken? Was it, you know, when you started, when you had the opportunity to go over to Europe? Or was there other moments that stick out in your head when I bring that up? Uh, no, I think uh, after Life of a Brett had come out, I think it started to really resonate and it became, uh, you know, the shows in San Diego were a little bit better. And then we had a good following up in Orange County too. And those kids would come down 
and see us play and and they're very uh, fanatical and and into it and it was very uh it was bigger but i wouldn't say that was like big by like standards of of the time i mean we were not a victory band you know we weren't playing these big clubs or doing these like nice tours we're still keeping it um not underground by any means but i mean like it just we weren't we weren't mainstream inside the underground. We were still kind of you know grassrooting it. It was a different level, yeah, yeah. for sure. And uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, the, I've said this uh, numerous times, but like, unbroken is bigger in its death than it was in its life. It that's a fact. Um, yeah. So the first time we toured ninety three, people did not get us. The second time we toured ninety four, people kind of listened or paid attention, maybe, but they still didn't fully get us. But by by right. ninety five, they were like, okay, now we get it, and that was our that was our exit though. That was like <laughs> they, they they figured it out when we were on our way out. We knew that we were setting an end date for that uh, in that year. Like that's this is this is the end of the band. So that's about the right. time it started to kind of you know catch on and and people were uh, relating to us, I suppose. Sure, and I, I've heard of, you know various numbers or length of time uh, in regards to your actual recording of life love regret and i know it was done at double time that was literally the reason why taken recorded at double time as well mm-hmm. besides blink 182 um <laughs> recording there as well right. um so i mean i'm guessing it was obviously just like you know oh yeah here's like three thousand dollars and we recorded over like seven days or what what was the uh if you remember those uh intimate details so life of regret you'll get different different stories from different people what i remember <laughs> sure. is we paid 650 dollars to record the record that's just laughable. <laughs> um, and Rob will tell you, Hartsfield gave him a check for I think a grand, and we gave him back change. Now sure. I think he's. I think I've heard him say it was eight hundred. I think I've heard seven hundred. My memory sure. is six fifty. I'm not saying that's you know. Yeah, gonna, that's just what your memory. That's what my memory yeah. is because uh, we did it in a very, uh, you know, we recorded live. We played all four of us played the the first round of music together, and then. Eric and I went and did the guitar overdubs at the same time too. And you can hear it. It's it got, yep. it got those flaws, but they're intentional and they give it the character it has. It's like, you know, do I want crooked teeth and people know my crooked teeth or am I going to get braces and just have normal teeth and no one will pay attention to that. And that's, right. that's kind of what the music is like. Yeah. There's so many flubs in that thing. Um, but I love each and every one. There's nothing on that record. I listen to and go, Oh, you know, <laughs> um, so it's, it's, oh. it's, it's uh, flawed by design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I even remember it's like, you know, how obsessed, you know, me and my friends were with the record where it was like, you know, we'd listen to different pans of it on left or right and then would, you know, hear you guys in the background like, woohoo, <laughs> yeah. and just like stuff like that where it was like, oh, this is so like, it's so beautiful because it's, you know, it's literally humans recording a thing and not like we could articulate it besides like we felt like we found an Easter egg or something. But yeah, it's just, you're right. Warts and all, it makes that record obviously special to people. There's there's a lot of humor in Unbroken that people don't realize. <laughs> I mean, anybody that knows Rob Moran knows that he's he's a class clown. He can make you laugh. He can he's hilarious. He's a very funny human being. Eric was also very funny. He was very uh, you know, just our close knit circle. We we laughed all the time. I mean, we're doing pranks and just being brief right. balls. It wasn't all like, you know, tears and Kleenex. It was very, totally. it was, there was a lot of fun. There was a lot of fun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. 
And, uh, you know, I know that the band, I mean, there's much has been said and documented in regards to, you know, you guys disbanding as far as, you know, the sounds were evolving and you guys were, you know, getting pulled in different directions mm-hmm. as far as, you know, your own personal lives are concerned. Um, I'm sure that there has been times where you've thought about like, I wonder what a, you know, full length of, you know, the fallen proverb seven inch, like would have sounded like, I mean, taking the influences that you were, um, you know, kind of bring it to the table in regards to, you know, Jehu and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm guessing that there's been some thought experiments that either you and or other people have talked about in the band and be like, I wonder what that would have sounded like. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I know it's impossible to answer, but just like well, that idea of like the, the further iteration of that seven inch, it's like, you can see the path, at least in my head, I can. Right. There was, I mean, Eric had written a couple songs and I think we played one of them in the last show and I, I don't never listen to the vinyl, but I think there's a live recording of one of them. And it was like, I mean, you know, we weren't shy about loving bands like Rocket from the Crypt. And right. Stuff. And it, Eric kind of wrote this song. It was a very, uh, an aggressive version of like Rocket and it wasn't unbroken. Um, I think the Jehu aspect of it probably would have fit better. Um, when I wrote um, Fallen Proverb, the intro on guitar is me straight up lifting the idea of the very first song on the, on the first Jehu record. You know, there was, that was like a very huge uh, influence. But um, the thing about us is that, yeah, we were playing metallic sounds, especially Life of the Grid. I think we kind of got away from it with the last few seven inches, but um, we were still very punk influenced and noise and chaos. And uh, San Diego was, you know, it's, it's where our hearts are. So it's going to, find its way into the to the uh to the sound and i think that's kind of what was happening and i don't know i mean we didn't spend enough time together to really think about how we were gonna if we were gonna do a second lp what it would be like or if we were gonna keep going with the songs i think we just kind of knew there was an end date and that was that was the end of it because the thing about unbroken is it was uh going back to me being in julia like julia was my main band unbroken literally could be considered like my side project side right (laughs) because like you said earlier we we played vacations you know we didn't we weren't a band that played you know 12 months out of the year we played three months out of the year and some of that was just touring um and same with eric i mean eric was in struggle and he was in swing kids and you know those were like the main bands it was (laughs) so right um to look at unbroken as like a a full-time vehicle was just it wasn't on on anyone's agenda it was very uh very sporadic yeah oh absolutely and i know that uh, kind of like what you were articulating at the uh beginning of our chat where there you've been able to do more with unbroken than you know you ever would have anticipated in regards to like you said the way that people react to your music mm-hmm. now some you know 20 30 years later um what you know shows stick out to you like since you have done you know many different iterations of you know whether it's you know playing festivals and going over to japan going over to um you know the uk like all of those places that you were able to or actually no you you guys didn't go to japan right no, no, no we you did. did yeah you did. we did yeah we did so yeah what what sticks out to you when i kind of bring that up of just the you know places that you never thought you would be that that, that right there <laughs> okay all of them I'm at, I'm at places i never thought i would be um there was a lot of you know obviously shows in the U S and, and shows in, in Europe where, you know, we've been to Europe, you know, between me, Todd and, and Rob, especially doing bands after Unbroken, we've been to Europe a handful of times each, uh, touring. And so that was, you know, nothing new, but like, yeah, we got to go to South America. We got to go to Japan. 
um, and do, you know, go to those places that we didn't think would happen. But then there was, you know, the magnitude of the shows I think was, was crazy. I mean, Rob and I, we didn't have a, a very tight knit relationship after and broken. None of us did. I think we kind of just, you know, me, Todd and Eric kept, kept our friendship going, but Dave, we lost contact, Rob, we just kind of just had separate, separate lives. And throughout the early two thousands, people would kind of bring up like, are you guys going to play again? Would you play again? And I, I said, no, every single time. And, and right. Rob on his own told everyone, no. And it was the burning fight show that we were asked to play. And I still said, no, and Rob still said, no. <laughs> right. And we were, we were swindled. We were tricked because I jokingly said, if undertow plays, we'll play. And there was a verbal agreement that undertow would play burning fight. I was like, fuck. So <laughs> whoops. I am it. <laughs> I literally had to ask somebody for Rob's phone number. I didn't have it and say, Hey, let's talk. <laughs> And, uh, and we talked and we're like, yeah, no, we're not doing it. <laughs> we, we both like pro did the pros and cons and we both found, you know, value in each. And we still said, no, we're not going to do it. And then yeah. the undertow thing was, was there and it was like, okay, we'll do it. And then they backed out. And at that point we committed to it, but <laughs> I did not, you know, if you were to ask me, um, you know, a two day thing at the Metro in Chicago and we're the headliner on night two, we're going to close it out. Like I didn't think that would be real. I didn't think that was going to be the, the caliber of the show. You know what I mean? Right. Um, where, you know, with all due respect to like converge, they, they played before us, you know, out of respect and which is really awesome of them. They're great, great people. Um, I didn't know we were, we were that band. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that we would be I, Jim Grimes, who 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 uh, booked the show. One of the things that's crazy in this this totally is just a, a memory I always have. Was he came out to to do a speech and introduce us, and he didn't say, "Here's Unbroken" or you know whatever he said. They're here, <laughs> right? And I thought that was so strange. It's like like the kid who you know that the aliens are here. They're here, like. Like they're here. I did it. I'm the guy that got them to come back and play. <laughs> right. Um, yep. And 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 I, you know, I didn't know, you know. And then that, and then to uh, to book the Glasshouse show and sell it out within the first hour of tickets being on sale. It's like, really? Yeah. That's that 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 just happened. <laughs> right. That you know, like <laughs> and and it, I mean, honestly, and for this is me just blowing smoke up your butt right now, but just like, I mean, I was fortunate enough to see, I didn't see you when you guys were originally around, but saw you at the Eric Allen show. And then basically, you know, almost every was at a burning fight, all that sort of stuff. The thing that I always took away with, I mean, you guys could have sounded like absolute dog crap. And I probably would have been like, it doesn't matter. This is so good. <laughs> but like you took the assignment seriously. And I know that sounds like stupid to say because now bands like, you know, every band is reunited and played shows and whatever, but like you didn't have to like take it as seriously as you guys did, but you did. And I think that that's what, you know, really resonated. And also the fact that, you know, whether or not you were, you know, extremely active in playing in bands, you guys were all active, you know, and playing shows yeah. and doing stuff. And I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah. I, I mean, I play guitar every day. I've been right. Every day. Um, I was joking with the, the unbroken group text that we have, like saying, I don't think I'm going to practice the song. So I get to San Diego. And it's, it's not because I need to warm up on guitar. I'm, 
I, you know, I'm fresh on guitar. I just, the unbroken songs, I don't have to think about them. I can play them anytime, anywhere. Like they're, right. I don't have to, like, I don't have to focus and relearn. Um, it, they're just there. I will always know how to play those songs. And that was kind of the sarcasm going, I'm just going to show up and play. I'm just going to get to San Diego. We'll have our first rehearsal. And that will be the first time that I play these songs. Cause I'm going to play them without thinking. They're just going to come right out. They're that natural and a part of who I am that it will be completely normal for me to play them. Like I'm speaking the English language to you right now. It just, comes, right. it just comes out. I'm not, there's no premeditated statement. This is, they just flow right out of me. Um, yep. Yeah. And that's, so, that's the band. Yeah, totally. And on that point too, like you were mentioning, the the fact that you know you still were really active with music obviously after unbroken with you know kill holiday crush on you and like you you know even though like you said there were many years where you were just like you know kind of nascent and you were really paying attention to either what was happening Mm -hmm. you know within the quote-unquote scene or what have you um and now that you have obviously you know dipped back in and you know done a lot of things and still create music what keeps you connected? Like, cause I mean, clearly like you don't need to, like there are other things that are very fulfilling in your life, <laughs> but you know, what, what keeps you, I guess, moving on with, you know, the music creation and playing in bands and all that sort of stuff. I have to, that that's, okay. there's this. Yeah. I mean, um, I write songs. I'm a songwriter and I make up shit every time I pick up a guitar. It doesn't mean they, they're going to be songs you'll hear, but I'm always creating something. And I think there's, there's a few different levels of people who play music. And I think there are those who can hold an instrument and make it make sounds. And then there's people who can craft things, you know, and I look at myself in some way and not to have a big head is that, you know, I'm not, this isn't like a, a pretentious thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to be that way, but like I am a song composer where I write everything i hear i hear songs when i'm playing guitar i don't just hear the guitar that's being played to me i hear the drums i hear how the vocals are going to go and the bass parts like this is like a um in my head i'm already writing the whole thing when i'm first come up with the first few riffs i have to get that out that has to be you know i i have to release that i have to make it into something and that's just kind of just the way i'm wired so yeah that's that's what keeps you connected yeah yeah so yeah. And, and, and all, I mean, I, I guess part of that as well, where when people started to, you know, reflect their, uh, you know, influence on the fact that, you know, the reason that they got into hardcore or whatever was all, you know, kind of rooted in the music that you have been a part of. Um, what were some of the, I guess, like unexpected places or, you know, people sharing their experiences with you that you were just like, what like you know whether it's a specific you know band i mean you don't have to you know name anybody if you don't want to but just like those places where things echoed back to you that you never thought would ever happen i think that would have to be with uh just being overseas you know or going to especially south america those kids are extremely passionate and not to say that anybody else is not um yep but you you look at certain countries and think like how the fuck did my music get there Sure. You know, I my wife makes fun of me all the time. She goes internationally famous Stephen Andrew Miller because <laughs> because <laughs> because sure. I can literally say to somebody, people all over the world listen to music I've written. But it's but it's not like people all over the world listen to music I've written, like you know with this bravado. It's just like holy shit, 
I've done right. something that somebody, you know, that's, I mean, fuck. When you look at doing music, you look at starting bands, you don't have, you have an agenda. Maybe you might have some expectation, but you don't really know where it's going to go. And it's almost like a lottery ticket. And to fact, you know, the fact that like you've done something that, at, you know, especially in your teens, you're, you're making music and then you find that it gets released and people all over the country and then in other countries start to, to dig it and, and relate to it and, and love it. That's, it's still mind blowing. It, it's, it's insane. Like, um, and you wouldn't, I mean, without social media, you wouldn't know to the extent that this stuff exists. Um, right. that's definitely a tool in aiding people to, you know, to contact you or to show you, yeah, I live in Singapore and I love unbroken or I live in, in Chile and I love unbroken. Like it's, you know, that's just, it's crazy. It's still crazy. It's always going to be crazy. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It will never, it will never stop being insane that that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you had this kind of the last thing I wanted to pick your brain on was, uh, you know, you moved away from Southern California and mm-hmm. that I'm sure it was a, uh, a big experience because, you know, when you raised in Southern California, it's always like, okay, like I, I didn't imagine living in other places and, right. you know, being, uh, you know, being like you mentioned previously a dad and obviously family man and, you know, all of the other, uh, things that fill your life. Um, how, I guess, how does it feel to be, you know, kind of away from California and kind of, you know, building a, a life somewhere different than what you had previously known? It's odd. Um, I'm homesick for sure. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, okay, I'll just go on record. My biggest complaint is sure. being, <laughs> being vegan in an area where there's not <laughs> any vegan <laughs> right um, sure so you know in san diego it's like oh i've got so many places i can go eat right now i don't want to make dinner tonight i'm gonna go to evolution i'm gonna go well, hey let's go eat at ranchos like just just all these things as to where here i mean i cook a lot and that's that's fine but there's no uh you know we're spoiled we were spoiled in san diego and we're spoiled here too i mean I work in an office only two days a week, three days a week. I work from home. So making dinner is not the end of the world. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, it was an economic decision first and foremost to leave San Diego. Uh, by the time sure. that we were ready to, to start shopping houses, we were priced out of the market. It was, you know, you got to make six figures and that first figure should be a three. If you're going to buy a, a house there that, you know, is, is in a good spot to raise a family. And, you know, we were yep. making, we were making good money, but it was still like, you know, I have a, I have a nice house here and the joke is I pay less than my mortgage and I was paying to rent a 950 square foot apartment in San Diego. Yeah. Right. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, when, cause people, oh dude, when we first got here and people are like, wait, you're from San Diego and you voluntarily moved here to Connecticut. <laughs> What's wrong with you? And when right. I just break it down and go, look, you know, there's, there's, you know, it's, like I, it's an economic thing. There was no way we were going to do it there. What we can do here. And like the school system that my, my son's involved in is, is phenomenal. I mean, I couldn't ask for something better. It's just, you know, we're in a smaller town. Um, taxes here are high for here, but I'm a Californian. So when people, right. Everything's going to be lower. Yeah. When people complain about taxes here, I'm like, Oh really? Let's talk about this. Cause, cause Connecticut has a, a flat, uh, state tax of 6.35, you know? And I said, Hey, you know, in California, your taxes vary on your zip code. 
So <laughs> let's let's not go there and talk about how how rough it is. Um, so property tax here is high, but then I see the school and all that. I'm like, okay, well that's, it's totally worth it, you know, as to where I could pay an insane amount in property tax in San Diego and just be like, well, what do I, what do I see out of this? You know? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, we, you know, this as a parent, like your life is no longer about yours, yourself. It's, it's, it's your, your children, you know, you're, yep. you're, you're raising them. It's them. You're giving them the best you can do. Uh, and it's not about you. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. Cause we moved here and I thought, you know, for sure I was done playing music. I was just going to, you know, focus on career and, and home life and, and family. And, and I still managed to meet people and, right. and get a band going and, and, yep. and have that going as well. So it's like, you know, the normality of my situation, I have an amazing job that I never would have gotten in, in, in San Diego. Um, I work in the industry of music. And I'm, and you know, my, my job is, is not, it's not like work <laughs> in that sense. Sure. It's very like, Oh, I love what I do. Um, I have a nice home and everybody here is happy. Uh, like I said, <laughs> the, 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 I brought the negative out, out of the gate where it's just the vegan food. There's no, uh, so totally right. Right. <laughs> no convenient vegan food for me. I got to make everything. So, um, right, right, right. Yeah. That, that's it. Yeah. Well, no, that's, I, it, it's cool. And I just, the reason I ask is definitely just because the, you know, when you have experienced so much of one particular city and area, and then to, you know, supplant yourself somewhere else that is, you know, so drastically different, like it has to be a culture shock in some respects. You, Orange County is a culture shock. <laughs> no, it's true. It, it's very, I live, I live there. True. I lived there for nine years. Like, right, like true. that's when people ask about Southern California, I always tell them like there's San Diego there's Orange County and there's Los Angeles and <laughs> yep. all three are not the same. It's right. it's a different vibe in each place. And Orange County is a very, it's a very interesting place. Um, yep. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I don't have fond memories. I don't have bad memories, but it's just kind of like, it's so very uh, bland. Uh, yes. Okay, yes. Oh, and the reason being is that it's, it's a collective group of cities. So there's no like, there's no downtown. There's no culture. There's no like, hey, we're going to no. go here. As to where like San Diego, you've got Hillcrest, downtown. Like you have places to go that are very um, different and you could experience different things as to where like, well, I don't really want to go to South County. Uh, you know, they got nice beaches, but the people there suck. Um, Newport. Yeah, I don't really want to do that either. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, sure. it's, it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, not to by any means rip on those rays there. Cause I'm not, um, but it's very, you know, it's very conservative. It's very, uh, yeah. It, it's, or it's, it's definitely a bubble atmosphere that yes, exists within. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. No, it's totally true. And like, regardless of where a person lands on the political spectrum, um, if they have never broadened their scope beyond orange County and, or, you know, occasional dips into Los Angeles or San Diego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely, it's that their, their reality is four inches in front of their nose. I, and, I, and I lived in a lot of different places. I did Costa Mesa. I did Huntington. I spent two yep. years in Anaheim Hills. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then I lived, the majority of my time was in orange and yep. I love orange. I, I do. I miss orange. Like I, I do yeah. love that. So um, yeah, that's, that's a home. That's a second home to me. So that was that I, man, I could have gone on for another like two hours just on life, love, regret, but I'm not going to do that, you know? And I really, <laughs> it also made me laugh and chuckle when he was like, 
Oh yeah, ritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's not a very good record. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're preaching to the choir. I don't like ritual either, but uh, Unbroken's one of my favorite bands of all time. It's funny how that can work out, but really, really appreciate Steve hanging out with me. And uh, yeah, like I said, you need to listen to Unbroken's entire discography minus Ritual and maybe the first seven inch. Everything else they've done is just Chef's Kiss. Like, well, actually, I can't even describe what's better than chef's kiss, but that's what unbroken is. So, and Steve is just a very prolific musician. He's always working on stuff. And I love to see that because, uh, you know, his fire hasn't been extinguished and I really enjoy that because I want to be there myself as well. (laughs) Anyways, next week I have a friend of the show, a person who I've had on before, but I am incredibly excited to welcome him back. Scott Lee. He is a manager. He is a owner of a few companies that uh, do a lot of stuff within the music industry, whether it's merch, ticketing, all that sort of stuff. But what I had him on about is the relaunch of the New England Metal and Hardcore Festival. I'm excited because I'm going to go out there, do a few live podcasts. It'll be really, really fun. But uh, it's the relaunch of this storied festival in Worcester, Massachusetts. I realized that for a while I was saying Worcester, trying to like act like a you know a Bostonian, and that was not actually how you say it. So, regardless, the New England Metal and Hardcore Festival is back in action. Two days, Friday and Saturday, the seventeenth and eighteenth of September. So uh, yeah, I wanted to pick Scott's brain about it. So that's what we do next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.